episode 11. Uh, tonight we're here to do a catalog spotlight on a particular film, which uh, is a bit of a, I don't know, we'll see if it's a favourite of, of our guests as well. Uh, we're covering Night Tide, and I'm very honoured to be joined here tonight with a very special guest, uh, Suzanne. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good. Excellent, excellent. No, thank you for being on. We appreciate it. Look, Suzanne, uh, we've had many chats over the years around movies, so um, I thought you'd be a great guest to be on the show because you're very knowledgeable and, um, you know, uh, have a very similar sort of taste in films uh, with the other guests as well. So, yeah, welcome. Welcome on. Great. Happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. And uh, we are joined also by, with uh, Tony Meaches. How are we, Tony? Hi, John. Hi, Suzanne. How are you doing? And glad to be back on and to talk about this film. And Suzanne, it's a real pleasure to have you on. You're going to love it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. It'll be a blast. And uh, we are also joined by the man himself, uh, William Rowley. How are we tonight, sir? I'm very well, sir. Absolute pleasure to be here. I feel privileged, as always, to be involved with this. Um, Suzanne, absolutely a perfect privilege to be with you. Um, your taste and your knowledge is amazing, so I'm happy to be involved with this. And Tony, as always, you're the master. Thank you, okay. sir. Glad to be here with you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Willie. Uh, cool. So, yeah, so tonight we are going to be covering uh, Night Tide. Night Tide, with its boundless power, ties these two together in a love tainted by strange, sinister terror. The siren song of the sea, pulsating like a bongo beat, calling, driving the sea people. saw how she looked at me, how she spoke to me. She's one of them. She's one of the sea people, and Johnny, I'm so afraid. You're a stranger here, and I guess you don't know what everybody here knows. Ellen, dear. In the past two years, Morris had two boyfriends, and they're both dead now. film that um, I think we all have a, a bit of interest in and uh, Indicator released a really pretty amazing set of it um, about, about a year ago. So um, yeah, so Night Tide is the 1961 film um, directed by Curtis Harrington. And um, and yeah, so I just want to have a discussion about the film and, and the packaging and a bit of trivia and tidbits about it as well. Um, so yeah, starting off, so the film itself, Night Tide. So it's a 1961 film. It's an American independent film. Um, it has a bit of gothic elements to it. Um, it's a bit of a mystery. It's a very unusual film and one that's hard to categorize. And um, just wondering, when did you guys first see Night Tide? I was just wondering, going round table. When um, Suzanne, when did you first come across Night Tide? I had never heard of the film until the Indicator release was announced. And I just looked it up on IMDb and I read a bit about it and I thought, I have to see this film. It just sounded really interesting, really different. So I ordered it and watched it and I just loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, very cool. I I think a lot of people, the indicator release was kind of an introduction to them because it wasn't 
too widely available before this release. So no, very cool, very cool. Uh, Tony, when did you come across Night Tide? Same as Suzanne, but I've heard of the film before, but I have never seen it until the indicated release. And I gotta tell you, this indicated release is incredible. And the movie itself was very, very fascinating to say the least. Yeah, certainly was. And uh, and William, I believe uh, we had a conversation. Uh, I think recently you, um, if memory serves me right, you saw this on SBS back in the day or somewhere. With um, ABC, ABC played it late one night. Uh, it's really strange. It's like um, you see TV stations playing different films, and back in the day, before we had video and stuff like that, as a kid, I was always dig through the program guide, and it popped up on the ABC this strange film, um, Night Tide, and I taped it and there it was and that's how i discovered it it's, it's just strange it's a weird little film that popped up dennis hopper 1961 film it's like bang and i recorded mm. it there it was mm. yeah interesting because it wasn't too widely available um for a while this film so yeah so for me um uh, actually, look, the indicator was the first release for me too. I actually, no, actually, I did have a sorry, Kino released it about a year before on Blu-ray, but um, I had that release, and um, but yeah, the indicator one was the actual first time I actually dug into the film. So for me, it is a recent discovery as well. So it's one that I, I'd heard about for a while, and um, yeah, because I know that obviously it was one of Dennis Hopper's early roles too. So yeah, it's it's a recent discovery too. So yes, I mean, look, the film itself, like um, so yeah, basically. Like I said, Dennis Hopper is a, a sailor, I presume, coming in from shore to this beach. And, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to really categorize the film because there's so many different elements and genres in it. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, it basically, it starts off with Dennis Hopper coming in and meeting this this girl who uh, may or may not be a mermaid. That's pretty much the premise of the film. Um, but, yeah, just leave it sort of open discussion. Like, um, what do you guys think of Dennis Hopper? He's, he's quite young in this film, actually, one of his first roles. I think he's really endearing as the young sailor in this film. He's kind of the perfect balance to Maura's character. Yeah, he is. And he's almost a bit, um, I would say, yeah, a bit, bit innocent at times. Like he seems like someone who, yeah, yeah, it does balance it out quite, quite nicely. Um, yeah, he's quite naive and he says he's only been in the Navy for a year. Before that, he's never been to the sea so it's like a kind of discovery through his eyes as well mm. yeah absolutely um and it's interesting to see hopper in this, this early role to what he would eventually go on to um yeah tony william what, what do you think of the man himself oh with dennis hopper it certainly was as suzanne said an endearing role for him Look, I'm so used to I'm so used to Dennis Hopper being Frank Booth from Lynch's Blue Velvet. So, yeah. and then um, watching him do a role like this, it's certainly different. And he he actually played it very well. Like I think the last film he did before that was um, was um, Giant back in 1956 with James Dean and Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson. And yeah, like I really thought he did. Um, he was really, really good in this movie. He, he was certainly, he was a naive character mm -hmm. and he played it very well. He's brilliant for what he is in the film. It's like as he starts off in the film, it's like he's a sailor, walks into the environment. And um, it's like, as he said, his mother 
was there looking after him. His father had left them and he was left to deal with that. And it's like he went off to discover the world afterwards. Um, uh, he's really good in the role that he does. It's not like his later films he, he plays. He's definitely an innocent here, just trying to find love. And, you know, he meets her and it's really amazing. Mm. Yeah, he, he's very much quite a reserved character in this film. Uh, yeah, quite the opposite to Frank Booth, <laughs> shall we say. Um, it's quite a quite an interesting performance from him. And, yeah, he's, he's basically uh, eventually uh, meets this, this girl in the bar, Amora, and um, he instantly... You know, has a connection. He, he he likes her a lot, and um and the whole premise behind the film is that Mora, um she lives uh, basically on on the beach and this uh, above a, a sort of carnival, sort of like a merry-go-round carousel. Carousel, carousel, yes, yeah. yeah. And um and yeah, uh, and basically it's like sort of a Santa Monica Pier type thing where it's you know sort of freak shows and sideshows and sort of a, a really different era and that's what i loved about this film was just that the whole atmosphere of it like the sort of a uh, carnival gothic sort of vibe to it and um and yeah basically more she she thinks that she may or may not be a mermaid basically so cool. when you're saying about that when he meets her there and they go back to the um carousel there with it what i found really interesting is like the um the mist starts blowing in there bringing in the the, the dream-like quality of the film so they're there and they're walking around they're talking about meeting each other and stuff to begin with. And you have this mist blowing in there. It's just so really uh, dreamlike. Mm. Yeah, I love that too, the setting. It just sets the mood right from the beginning and it, it builds. It builds this seaside carnival atmosphere as this character in the film so mm. the Caesar character mm. the carnival like you said which is lost now with the seaside being this place of amusements and freak shows this kind of seedy dangerous exciting place with you know these strange characters and the jazz club the blue grotto that's beautiful this smoky oh, that's you know, cool bar, this bohemian yes. vibe, beat scene. And that's where you see uh, Johnny Dennis Hopper's character. It's just this wide eyes, this whole new world. It's exciting to such a young guy. Yeah, especially when he's, you can tell when he's grabbing the beer, he's like, you know, presumably doesn't, you know, he, he's entering this world that he's not aware of. And he's, he's, you can tell he's like really excited, just the expression on his face when he walks in that bar. It's like, you know, done perfectly to a T. So, so yeah, it is like sort of a, yeah, it is like the, the atmosphere of the film itself, the whole environment is a character itself. And um, I think the, I was going to mention, obviously, we can talk about a bit more, but the actual cinematography, the stark black and white nature of this film, uh, a bit of trivia, but they were originally looking to do it in colour, but um, because of budget reasons, they went to black and white. I could not imagine this film in colour. It would not. Neither could I. Neither could no. I. It, 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 it wouldn't be the same. No, no. way. Yeah. No, because it, it just has that sort of gothic vibe with the black and white cinematography. And almost like, yeah, like something like, you know, something like, like Freaks, for example, from 932. Like, so that sort of, um, you know, offbeat atmosphere to the whole film, which is which just works in its favour. And of course the um, and of course Val Luton films from the forties, especially yes. with um, because Night Tide obviously has some homages to Cat People, 
Yes. Definitely, definitely. It's, it's a complete homage to that type of stuff, but yes, please carry on. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, it has a sort of Valutin uh, feel to it because it is, yeah, it is actually now that you mentioned Tony, it has, it is almost a Valutin esque film because you don't know if, if, you know, she is a mermaid or she, she isn't. And, um, and obviously there is this, uh, sort of witch figure in the film, yes. that's kind of, uh, you know, following her around and, um, the sea uh, witch, the sea witch, yes, the sea witch, the sea witch played by Cameron, yes, Who's Marjorie Cameron, Marjorie Cameron, yes, she's a fascinating character, she is, <laughs> yeah, endlessly fascinating. Yeah. yeah, she she spoke to um she spoke to Mora in Greek in Greek language and um the Greek and the and the way Cameron spoke the Greek was obviously um phonetically, but um of mm. course in the of course I wrote this down being the being the Greek person I am I wrote down the um the translation for what she said to uh, Mora when she when she spoke to her, the translation was you belong with your own kind my love. Believe me, we will see each other again soon. Ah, oh, fascinating. It's amazing. Wow. Thank you, Tony. Well, That's all right. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And, of course, um, they first encounter her character, the Sea Witch, in that jazz club. Yes. That's where we first see her. Yep. And, and we also, the second time we see her is on the beach when um, Maura does a sort of uh, crazy dance uh, with the drums going, the sort of her, her primal the dance, primal dance, yeah, the voodoo dance, yes, the sixties yeah. exotica, sixty, yeah, yeah, belly dancing, sixties exotica, well, and yeah, it has that sort of like once again, sort of like gothic voodoo atmosphere to it. What was that the, yeah. the problem is that like the confusion between like a siren and a mermaid between the character for what it is because they're two different things. The siren was leading men to their death with their bringing them down to the um the the sea they used to bring them to death to the sea they'd bring them down there with it the mermaid was not like that the mermaid was a creature of um attraction and affection mm. so when it was like, yeah i had actually read something about that well, so the the siren is of course from the ancient greek mythology like you said lured sailors to their death with the yeah. beautiful song and enchanting music um and they were originally these bird-like creatures so half woman half bird they were not like mermaids at all and that's interesting because there is a scene in the film where Mora tames the bird um which it's just an interesting reference to that but the mermaid became the mermaid from the siren around the Christian era, era. So Byzantium and by medieval time, the siren had kind of turned into this half fish, half person creature. So the link is there in the mythology, but it changed over time. And there's just so many legends and folklore surrounding sea spirits and mermaids and these different creatures mm, thank you yeah because I, I i forgot about that scene yeah when having the the breakfast on the on, on mm. the balcony yes. she tames the the bird and i think des hopper he uh he's quite yeah he's he's quite uh surprised by her doing that like it's mm. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because the siren, the bird-like thing, was like a bird of prey. So the siren was like a bird of prey, singing like a bird, luring men to their death. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Ah, um, and so we know that, and basically Mora, her, her backstory, she um, uh, then obviously we're introduced to this uh, this you know, sea captain type character. Captain Murdoch. Murdoch, yes, of course, and um, and so the story is that Murdoch found Mora as an orphan on a Greek island and basically you know, kind of adopted her. That's how the story goes, and so um, and so, and and he, you know, he's taking care of her, and he's he's basically her employer too because he runs the freak show where she plays the mermaid, and I think it's it's really cool that whole sort of um, you know, you see inside that the mermaid freak show where she's in the water. I just think it's really well done, and how the water's kind of sparkles and glistens, and uh, it's a really visual looking scene when Hopper's seeing her in the tank. So yeah, as as a mermaid, uh, it was that was a very fascinating scene. But I wanted to mention one thing also. When we're introduced to Captain Murdoch, if you notice carefully on the um, sign of the um, of, of the of the attraction, how it says "Mermaid Alive." At the end of the movie, you see the words "Mermaid," but the word "Alive" is gone. That's something uh, that. Oh, okay. Very significant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that? Wow. Yeah, and also, because and I also, yeah, I'll discuss that very later on with what, what what's going to happen. And yeah, but before Dennis Hopper went and had breakfast, we 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 were introduced to other supporting characters. Um, one of them was Ellen, played by Luana Anders. Yes, yes, and um, her father, obviously, who also runs the merry-go-round, and um. Marjorie Eaton as Madame Romanovich, who's the um, the psychic. Yes, clairvoyant. Yeah, and she she was fun. I've always liked I always liked Marjorie Eaton, especially. Yeah, I just I just loved her performance in this one. Same, same. I thought she was great, and she um, yeah, as, as the clairvoyant type character, which Dennis Hopper goes to uh, later on for some some advice, and she does a card reading. Uh, which once again kind of goes back to that sort of um, you know sort of gothic sort of carnival vibe to the film um, with all these different different characters who do this for a living and this is basically what they do as their job. So yeah, no, it's yeah, she's fantastic and I love that scene, the tarot, tarot. reading scene. So do I. It's it's really well written and the actual interpretation of the cards is it's real. It's not just made up. Um, and it's it's interesting because there are links with this film and esoteric thought and the occult, like it's got this undercurrent and coincidences mm -hmm. in regards to the film. Mm. With well, um, yeah, was that one of those being Marjorie Cameron, of yes. course. Oh yes. yes. Yeah, who was a renowned figure in the occult scene she was married um to jack parsons was his name he was the pioneering rocket engineer mm -hmm. also a prominent occult practitioner and they were both disciples of alistair crowley yep. um and and it's interesting because i know she mixed in this whole 
bohemian beat scene. So we have that coming through in the movie. We have her appearing in the movie as the sea witch. And we have the even the reference to Crowley, which is that the captain's house number is 777, which we see on his house and on his calling card. Mm. And the sea witch leads Johnny there. That's and of cool. course, seven 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 is related to Crowley and his um book Labor seven seven seven. Wow. Yeah, and, and then and we she, have the tarot too. Tarot too, yeah. And she appeared in um a few Kenneth Anger films as well at the she time, did. and that's where that other sort of mutual connection comes in because. The, the director did work with Kenneth Anger, and so he did a lot of short films. We can talk about it later on, but um, it's yeah, you're right. It's just all these sort of coincidences coming into place, like the sort of um, occult figures um, who make appearances in in this film. So yeah, no, very interesting. The sort of connections, mm. mutual connections across the board. And as a just a bit of trivia as well, apparently Anton LaVey was a big fan of this film, oh. so he got to meet. Marjorie Cameron. She preferred to be known as just Cameron. She was an artist as well, this occult figure. But he met her and apparently he was very excited because she had been in this film and he was a fan. And part of where this film was filmed, uh, Ocean Pier, I believe, was where Anton LaVey used to play organs in strip clubs. Really? Wow. There you go, a bit of obscure oh. trivia, but again, this whole right. coincidence and link to the occult, it just runs through this film. It's really quite magical, this film, yeah. and that's part of the magic. Yeah, yeah, and because on the surface it looks like, you know, to most people appear like some sort of B-grade sort of, you know, Roger corman S type film, but there is so much more to it. The people involved oh. made it under the surface, yeah. Um, that's that's fascinating. And speaking of Anton LaVey, he um he he's he's I think he he did a list of his top movies and he's got good taste. That guy, <laughs> he did. You know, he he, he good, does. He does yeah, have, he really, have good taste. Like, so, yeah. Well, like the big heat and like all these classics on there as well. So like yeah. He, oh. oh, that was just an internet kind of fact. Oh, but right. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it because they mix. That's what I was kind of getting at. That they mix in these circles and yeah. Curtis Harrington as well. Like this bohemian scene with Kenneth Anger and you know all these other kind of people. Yes. So yeah, basically Captain Murphy tells you know um, Johnny uh, Johnny Drake that um, you know that that Moore is a mermaid. So you know stay away from her. She's she's dangerous. She's a siren, and pretty much all the men that. Mora has dated have essentially died because of because Mora is is a siren and and obviously Dennis Hopper you know, his character finds it very hard to believe you know he thinks that obviously this this guy soul guy is just you know has no idea what he's talking about so um, I think then that that's where the mystery sort of and I think like you're saying Tony the sort of Val Luton element comes in where is she a mermaid isn't she yeah and I, a great scene I love is is the dream sequence the nightmare sequence where. You know, uh, he's, he literally sees her as a mermaid with uh, tentacles, and I think it's just, and, and that's also was used on the poster art as well, which is yes. real. That was a pretty trippy sequence and pretty quite frightening back in the, for its time. But yeah, it was a pretty, there was a pretty impressive sequence, I've got to say. 
Mm. I love that sequence. It's very HP Lovecraft. Yes, that's what I'm Yeah, yeah it, it fits in as well. This movie has a real literary context. Apparently, Curtis Harrington was a big reader and he especially loved horror. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's more than likely he was influenced by Lovecraft and um, also the movie is named after mm. a line in an Edgar Allan Poe poem. Yep. So he was a big reader of horror and it's, it's even this story, it could be straight from a pulp fiction or a strange tales or like a twilight zone kind of scenario. It's got, it's of that era. And the octopus scene, the scary nightmare octopus scene, was very Lovecraft. Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, he, he was a big, big fan of um, uh, Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, yeah, because he, um, we talk about later on, but also he, he actually made his own sort of Edgar Allan Poe movies when he was like 14 years old. He made his own uh, for the House of Usher. He shot on 16, sorry, 8mm when he was like 14 back in... Like 1940, it's crazy to think, but he was making his own sort of uh, homages to um, Edgar Allan Poe. So you can tell, definitely, I'm sure he has a, a love for Lovecraft as well and, and Poe, the sort of gothic literature. So it mm. fills with the film. Yeah. See. And another little fact for you, which is just another weird synchronicity coincidence, is that the entomology of Cthulhu, which was Lovecraft's great sea beast mm -hmm. um, is the word from ancient Greek Kason. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly but she was the mother of the sirens oh okay yeah speaking of which <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so as we were saying you saw the, the Cthulhu type um, uh, imagery of the film and, and that's really the only scene in the film that has sort of like you know monster imagery and I guess um, you know the film was kind of Market as a, dip, a B movie with this this poster with this you know giant sort of octopus creature on the front, but obviously it does come from Johnny's nightmare sequence, and and once again it's the psychology of um you know is this real or not is is she really a you know a mermaid? And the other interesting thing is that um, sirens in ancient Greek mythology were the bringers of nightmares. Oh. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's yeah, true. they had a link to troubled dreams and nightmares. So the siren is bringing Johnny these troubling dreams, which are also very kind of psychosexual as well. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is because, yeah, one second he's, uh, you know, aroused by then he's being choked by this giant creature. So, yeah, no, very interesting. Um, yeah, so so basically, um, and, and the film kind of just moves along. And, and the thing I like about this film is, um, despite all everything going on, it's a really sort of simple story. Like, that's the thing I love about it is that it's, it's a really well-paced movie. I never felt bored by it. Like, it's something that um, it keeps your attention from start to finish. And um, and that's basically the, the whole film is like, is she a mermaid or not? And some cool sequences where, um, obviously, they go swimming. And um, still trying to make sense of it, she cuts Johnny's oxygen, doesn't she? Um, from yes. Excuse yes. Yeah. It's what, the way I read it was so that he couldn't save her. Mm. Yes. Actually, yeah, that that makes sense because I always wondered that. It always got me wondering what, what what the point of that was. But yeah, um, 
Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, because he—that's when he was convinced that you know she's possibly trying to kill him, or um, or she is a mermaid. So, but yeah, and and so this film moves along, and and ultimately we we you know if we want to kind of get towards the ending. Like Tony, you were mentioning that that sign at the end as well, like little tidbits like that. Mm. So and, so and the sea witch Johnny saw the sea witch. Yes, true, true. Very good choice. She she leads him to. The secrets about Mora in the house. Yep. In the captain's house. So we've got this mysticism just underneath. So it's never quite explained. Well, you've yeah. also got when he goes into the house there with the um with the captain, he goes up to the the hand in the glass. You got the cut off hand there with it. So there's some again some type of mythosis with involved with it because like did they cut hands off or not and it's like the dream sequence from there true true because yeah the the, speaking of which yeah i can't think of the sweet the sea witch is never really explained and that's why i like about the the mystery of it um it's not really an open and shut case in the end actually because um johnny saw saw her um you know and obviously she is there in the film so well, um, the, the sea witch goes across and she does she turn to the little girl when he goes across into yeah. that sequence there with it is she turned the girl or is that somebody else or what because yeah she vanishes when he's chasing her through the the yep. cloak line and this little mm. kid kind of appears so i yeah. think she's like a, a death character like a, a bringer of doom or foreteller of doom like an omen yeah, and I think um, very good point. I think that it's kind of a, a doomed romance between these two. Like you know, Johnny wants it to work, and um, there's a particularly powerful scene where she's uh, kind of under the the pier and in the water and just screaming, and the waves are coming in, and he pretty much, you know, I guess kind of tries to rescue her, and you can tell that this is sort of a, a tragic romantic story between mm. these. Two. Um, mm. Yeah, Mora, she's this doomed character, and. Even though she's very beautiful and mysterious, she has this kind of melancholy about her. She's mm. doomed. And like in Edgar Allan Poe's poem, for which the movie's named, uh, Annabelle Lee, she's a doomed character like Annabelle Lee, who, of course, drowned in the poem and the lover was pining for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's a really tragic character. I mean, even like her backstory, um, all the way to, to where she ends up in the film. Uh, yeah, she's like almost cursed in a way, um, and uh, can't seem to escape whatever this sort of something. Yeah, the film has a sort of I don't know it has a sort of um, a sort of grieving atmosphere kind of uh, throughout the film, like on top of it, like you know, kind of mm. just the sense of dread throughout. Yeah. The- and it, it's present from pretty much start to finish. And that's, once again, the, the atmosphere of the film is just, like, unbeatable. Like, it's really – it is there. You can feel it. And, um, you know, once again, I couldn't have imagined it being filmed any other way. So – and to have such a director to, to film it and, and kind of visually show it out. I was uh, wondering, did anyone pick up on the subtext with the captain? The, um... the British guy. Yeah, so Captain Murdoch, the Guardian, uh, there was a bit of a subtext there. No, I didn't. The homosexuality context? No. No. So. Well, that that subtext would be 
possibly um trying to think it through <laughs> um he, he's, he's the father that picks her up so i'd imagine the subtext might be um trying to save somebody they can't yeah i got the second time i watched it i picked up on this very subtle subtext which was he was this captain and he's gone to this you know island greek island and he's brought back this little orphaned girl and when he says at the house that's her room up there it's this door and it's this shadowy door mm. and when johnny goes to investigate the room is dark and it's haunted it's got this haunted sense and Mora doesn't live with the captain anymore. She lives in her own house. He has there's this strange controlling relationship there. So he still exploits her in the carnival. She's, you know, the sideshow attraction. And like you mm. mentioned the hand before. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to be the hand of a thief that has been cut off, and that's what happens to thieves they have their hands cut off and a point is made of it. So is Johnny the thief that is going to steal Mora away from the captain? So Ooh, it's not a... that necessarily there's abuse. There could be. Mm. There's a subtext there. Obviously, to a modern person, a man taking this little girl yeah, was... <laughs> away and she lives in this shadowy room on the landing that's dark and eerie and all she wants is freedom at the end when she goes back to the sea to get away from this control of the captain and notice his house is filled with all these you know objects like a cabinet of curiosities of these things he's brought back from overseas strange exotic things and she's one of them so there's this kind of strange subtext happening there which i picked up on the second time around, which is why she wants to go back to the sea. Yeah, no, no, very good point. I, I, I thought, you know, and, you know, spoiler alert if anyone's listening, but obviously uh, it turns out that he is the one who's been doing the killings, the, the, the captain himself, just so no one could take her away from him, which was, um, once again, le leading into that subtext. And I thought, uh, once again, to a modern audience, yeah, it, it is quite creepy, this, this older mm. guy taking this orphan girl, um, and I'm sure, like the audiences back in you know, 1960 may not have seen it, but today it sounds like there is sort of a very, yeah, very sort of a creepy sort of vibe to, to what the captain did. And like I said, it could just be, there are two sides. It could just be like a, a kind-hearted gentleman who um, wants to take care of this girl. But to modern audience, yeah, it, it does. It, you're right. And now I think about that room, it is it is a very yeah. dark. It's eerie, dark. Yeah. It's haunted. Yeah. And it she's, she's haunted. Yeah, like haunted memories in that room. And he's he's fed her these lies. Yeah. He's yeah. told her that she's this siren, that she's a mermaid, that she can't have intimacy with men because she'll hurt them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very good pickup. No, that really. is a, that is an excellent observation, Suzanne. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, that is. Yeah, yeah, because I thought, yeah, that, that kind of put together. The room kind of connects everything. Now that I think about it, yeah, because I, I didn't really see it the first time, but yes, no, absolutely. I only noticed it the second time, and just because the room, just the feel of her room, it just wasn't quite right. You get this sense of 
like you said, dread that's through the whole film and yeah. doom and yeah. doom. fate and. And I was going to say, Tony, you mentioned something. The other subtext, um, which is interesting, because you know, obviously, the director worked with um, Kenneth Anger, who was you know, openly gay, and yeah, there was um, interesting. I was seeing the commentary and seeing the bathhouse. Where, yeah, you know, it, you know, he's getting sort of like this <laughs> exotic massage. <laughs> oh, the massage, the, the massage. massage. Feel intense, healer, or whatever it was. Like, and so it, it's interesting because, like, you know, um, yeah, at, at the time, you know, Kenneth Angle were making these these sort of like, at the time, you know, really controversial like gay art house films, and and um, I'm not sure about the director himself, like personally, but um, it, I, I could feel this sort of that scene had a bit of an interesting tone to it. Um, yeah, Curtis Harrington, I believe, I believe he was openly gay, but he does. Yeah, um, he was. He, uh, he, um, he was one of the. He was known as the forerunners of the new queer cinema back new in the queer day. Cinema. Yep. yep. And yeah, the, but in the sequence in the in the bathhouse, as well, um, that Bruno the masseuse was um, was massaging Dennis Hopper. The captain comes in. And then the masseuse says to the captain, uh, <laughs> "Hello, captain. Do you want me to pound you later?" And the and then the captain goes, "Am I likely to forego a pleasure like that?" Wow, the things they got away with back in back in the day. I couldn't believe it when I heard that. I thought, "Wow, they got away with a lot." Oh, <laughs> and um, it went over, Yeah, I'm sure it went over the audience's head back in '90s. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. No, no, because yeah, because um, it wasn't until the commentary they they picked that up, and I was like, ha, huh, oh, okay, and then I rewatched. I'm like, yeah, yeah, interesting. So there are there are these sort of interesting subtexts all throughout the film, like in little pieces, and you can break it down. And I think this is a film that you know multiple viewings is rewarding because you pick oh, up yes. on time. I've watched it past few days. I watched it twice now, and, and I did pick up on something new every time. So. Um, um. Dennis yeah. Hopper has a very tight little sailor suit there. Apparently, when he was wearing it off set, he got propositioned several times. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, there, there is a lot a lot to it under the surface, definitely, in this film. Um, so is The Night Tide is cited by some people as being an adaptation of the Little Mermaid, of course, being the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, uh-huh. which has nothing whatsoever to do with Disney animation <laughs> fairy tales. Nothing the, you know, they're really grim, grim fairy tales, um, <laughs> and not often with happy endings. They've got all this dark stuff in them. They stem from folk tales and legends. And so I looked up. So some people cite this as an adaptation of The Little Mermaid. So I looked up The Little Mermaid. Mm, And it says, only by achieving true love will her soul bind with a human's and become everlasting. The sea witch, so there's a sea witch Uh. in The Little Mermaid, grants her her wish to be human in return for her tongue. That means her beautiful singing voice. So she's no longer a siren. So she's doomed unless she stabs the prince with a magic dagger before the wedding night. So, of course, we have the dagger Uh, in the night tide. Johnny thinks that she's going to stab him when they're scuba diving together. 
but on the wedding night, the Little Mermaid can't bring herself to stab him, so she dissolves into foam and returns to the sea. Ah. So the, it is similar, and I that's interesting that there are a lot of similarities with the Little Mermaid, and it is cited as an adaptation of the fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, which again is just folklore, traditional European folklore. And I guess that kind of gives some context to that scuba diving scene, actually, because she, it's like, you know, she goes to do it, but she kind of doesn't. She kind of pull, she, yeah, doesn't fully go through with it. So, yeah. And she cuts his air pipe so he has no oxygen. So he has to come to the surface. So she sacrifices herself. Yes. Yes. And the interesting thing is, I'll go back to the card reading scene with Madame Romanovich. So she draws the cards and Johnny is the Knight of Cups. So she does explain this in the film. But the Knight of Cups is the knight on the white horse or the knight in shining armour. So he's like the prince with this role of saving the damsel in distress. His future is the hanged man. This signifies surrender and sacrifice. So we know in the end that Mora will be sacrificed to the sea and the moon signifies illusion and deception and the the moon is a reoccurring theme in the film to do with Mora. Um, so she talks about the moon, the captain says that her mania rises with the full moon and again the lunar is related to this esoteric occultism and paganism and the feminine. Um, the moon is linked to the sea, the tides, lunacy, the female menstrual cycle, and her behaviour intensifies, as we said, with the full moon. So there's just so many interesting references in this script. Mm. It's just really quite deep and detailed. Yeah, until they, they know what they're like. As you mentioning the moon, I remember there was a scene on the calendar too It had the, the image of the moon um, on there as yeah. well. Full moon, it zooms in slowly to, to the actual image and... And that's when the scuba diving is the full moon. Ah, yes, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, so Johnny thinks he's all wary. She's going to murder him on the full moon because she's going to go crazy or whatever he thinks might happen. Yes. Yeah, but she's, she's really committing suicide. Yes. Or going back to the sea, whether it's because she thinks she is a siren and that she belongs to the sea or whether she's just so haunted because of that subtext, that uncomfortable relationship with the captain, that the only way she can be free of him and free from her ghosts and these things haunting her is to commit suicide. Because mm. mm. I remember also, like, yeah, she says, oh, she pretty much has no friends. Like, uh, sometimes he's my only friend. Johnny's like, what about me? And so she pretty much, like, 
she's been isolated her whole life as well, so very haunted character. Yeah, she's been controlled and exploited in this sideshow. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like you said earlier, it was like a uh, exotic object. It was picked up. Yeah, not a person, but just something to be looked at. So, yeah. Well, I can. I want to mention one thing. Um, Gavin Muir, who plays Captain Murdoch, wasn't the original choice. The original choice was the legendary Peter Laurie. Yep. That would oh. have been that much money. Would have been interesting. <laughs> that, that would have been very interesting performance, especially with with Laurie's iconic look. It's just, um, I don't know how it would have mm. been. It would have been very different, to say the least. Well, the way the characters played there with the British accent and stuff, with it, Peter Laurie playing, it would be curious. Mm. Obviously, with his uh, German background, that with it, how would it have played? I'd be curious. Um, he's an amazing actor. I love the guy so much. Everything he's been has been brilliant. Um, but uh, he just wanted too much money for what it was, which is. Sort of sad, but good. Cause it gave this other character actor there an opportunity to play. So, was well, it is what it is. He's there now. So, yes. It all kind of, yeah. And I couldn't really picture anyone else in the role because it all kind of worked out, I guess, in the way that you know they had to go with him as an actor uh, to fill the role. So, and look, I mean, this film, like, it was. It was not a big budget film. And, and the thing that fascinates me, once again, it was an independent film. And you think about independent films back in 1961, it was really unheard of at the time. Like, actually, 1960, sorry, is when it was filmed. So I think it cost uh, 75000 Um That's, yeah, which is still a pretty micro budget even for that, that period as well. It was all kind of self-financed, the film. Um, that's correct. Independent film by the director. So it's pretty cool for what he did. It opened a lot of doors for him, but my goodness, Roger Corman. <laughs> yeah, Corman was was involved with the film as well. Um, and obviously we can go into it a bit later, but uh, the director, he would go on to film the next Roger Corman sort of production, which was another film I really like, which was uh, Queen of Blood, um, which is the sci-fi one, um, 1966, also has Dennis Hopper. And that, that's a that's a really good unusual sort of sci-fi film, but right. no one as good as no one as good as Night Tide because Night Tide I feel this was you know his vision the director he had complete control over it it was his film and Queen of Queen of Blood just feels more like a it hasn't got as many layers as, as Night Tide but um it's an interesting watch if anyone hasn't seen Queen of Blood it's a very interesting film it's a sci-fi one um cool um yes yeah, so, I mean um. I guess the film itself. Um, what are your final thoughts, everyone? It's a round table. How do you rate this film? Um, do you recommend Night Tide? It sounds like we're all quite positive from what I'm hearing. Um, was everyone thinking Night Tide? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> highly recommend it. If you're in, if you're interested in the obscure and um, and atmospheric movies, Night Tide's one for you, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Suzanne, I could tell you're a bit of a fan of this film. What, what do you think? Yeah. Of- I love it. I just think it's so fantastic. Everything from the setting, the atmosphere, it's moody, it's visually striking, it's got all these occult undercurrents in it, magic, just 
as an undercurrent through it, these kind of literary references, like I said, to Edgar Allan Poe, Lovecraft, horror. He was a massive horror fan, like I said. And it's just so brilliant that he made this independent film at a time in America when people were not making independent films and he just wanted to make this. I think it's got a lot of him in it. You just see so much and there's been kind of so much thought put into it with the, like I said, the magic, the mythology, the mystery. It's just got so many genres in it. I think it's really appealing and just fascinating film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Suzanne. Absolutely. Um, William, what, what do you think of Night Tide overall? Suzanne, you, you summed up very well indeed. Um, to me, it's like a dreamlike excursion. What the director has brought through there for what he's done, for the budget and limitations for what he's done, it's just incredibly perfected. It's such a great film. It, oh, words absolutely fail me as always, but it's beautiful for what it is. As you said, the Poe um, name for the film and that with it for it was with the siren and the mermaid for what they are. It's brilliant. Dennis Hopper, one of his first major films. It's incredible. Um, recommended. If you... If you've never seen it, see it, see it, see it. It's beautiful. Uh, Powerhouse Indicator, thank you for bringing it to us. The first box set that sold out, it's beautiful. And, yes, it's worth seeing. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you, William. Yeah, I um, I love this film. Uh, like I said, even um, as, as a watch, it's just an entertaining watch from start to finish. Like I said, really well paced, visually stunning, um, surreal, dreamlike, gothic. Um, it's something quite unusual. And there's nothing really quite like it. I was trying to think of something from 1960 that had the same sort of atmosphere. Um, well, so really, it was good. Yeah. What's interesting is that the following year we had Carnival Souls. Oh, yes. After it. And it's quite interesting. It's like an interesting companion piece to it. And it's like this is a film that followed a year after it. So to me, it's a really good book bookend to each film. They're both different films, but they're both atmospheric and beautiful what they are. They're both in black and white, and they both bring this gothic, ghostly story for what they are. Oh, both beautiful movies. Absolutely, William. Couldn't agree more. I also thought this film whether it's a coincidence or not, but would make a great double with The Lighthouse, the recent Oh, film. yes. It yes. kind of shares some similar elements. It does. The sirens, uh, the black and white, the atmosphere, and the sense of dread. And, of course, yeah. I, 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 I have to say it. I have to say it. The seagulls. Yes. <laughs> true, true, true. Magnificent thought. Yeah, that would make a great double. Um, I think so. Pair it up definitely with Carnival of Souls or The Lighthouse. Um, you know, we don't. Ah, yeah, it'd be great to have more of these sort of films in in this vein. Like, I'm trying to think of a few others. Like, like Lighthouse is a great comparison. Carnival of Souls, like, um, so these, yeah, just sort of sort of gothic, sort of surrealist, sort of, you know, films um, that that obviously deal with mermaids and sirens. So, yeah, no, it's it's something it really is. So I I, I love this film. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to watch it multiple times. Obviously, um, I feel like there's a film I'm going to revisit probably once a year. It's definitely one that I, I just, you know, I think is really, really good. And uh, I, I love it. So, yeah, thumbs up from me. Two thumbs up, definitely. The more I watch it, the more I see and the more I appreciate it. Same. It's, it's rare to find this fantastic story. It's fantasy. It does, and it mixes so many genres as well. And, you know, since we, you know, this conversation has actually helped me appreciate it even more. There are so many things I didn't see that now I did see. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great film. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, look, um, that's the film itself. Uh, and then the next part, the second part of this, we'll just cover the actual package itself, which, um, so there are, obviously, there was a limited edition set, uh, which I've got here, which was limited to 3,000, and um, it sold out, surprisingly. Um, I thought this would last a little bit longer, but um, it's, it proves that this film has quite a following, and it sold out really quickly. So um, it, it's just a beautiful package overall. So I'm just holding it now, I'm just having a look at it. So, um, yeah, it comes with a uh, this, this package here. Obviously, it, it's housed in the hard case. It has a, a book, and this is an actual 80-page um, book, which um, is really cool. And obviously, the case inside has an alternative artwork on the other side, uh, which I really like. Um, which cover have you chosen for the, the reverse art on the actual uh, case inside? Did you guys flip it or leave no, it? No, I, I left mine on the, with the sea witch on the cover. Yeah, I love the sea witch. Yeah, I like the sea witch one too. And um, it other... even looks like an old, an old novel or an old kind of pulp horror novel. It does, yes. It does, it does. Um, it looks like something that should be creased and worn, like an old paperback. Um, it's really mm. cool. And the other side is interesting. The other artwork is, I presume, some sort of poster art, um, which has the sea witch. Just um, with a hand out by the sea, um, eerie, strange, macabre. Lovers caught in a dark tide of sinister terror. So that's that's pretty cool. So both artwork, I think, is is really impressive. Um, and yeah, look in the package as well. You also get a 80-page book and also um, a, a bunch of lobby cards as well, which is pretty cool. I'm just just going through it now. Uh, Did you get the um, Captain Murdoch card? Uh, yes, 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 yes. I, I ordered direct from Indicator. So uh, if you order direct from Indicator, you got a little card. Um, I haven't even opened mine yet. Did you open yours, Tony? <laughs> yeah, I opened my one. It's the, it's the exact, it's Captain Murdoch's card, so yeah. Oh, the 777? Um, let, me, let me open it. One second. Is so, it okay. the one Captain, like Captain the Samuel Murdoch, 777 Barbeck Lane. Venice, California. There you go. It's leading you to the secrets in the dark house. Yep. That's awesome. They um they sometimes do that like with Night of the Demon, they included Carswell's card as well. So uh, I think it's cool when Indicator do those little tidbits. So that's awesome. I love uh, it. Oh, I love it too. So um so yeah, so and you also get the um yeah, so you get a bunch of lobby cards, which is really cool, just going through them now. Um, you know, one with Dennis Hopper, um, it's a few of them, and also uh, the 80-page book itself, and not a booklet, this is a book, and um, it's a beautiful-looking uh, book, and I'm just flipping through, and there's some really good articles and, and production stills and 
um yeah it's it's really 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 nice um yeah so what, what do you guys think of the packaging overall beautiful beautiful packaging it's uh, it's it's quite a presentation um what number what limited edition number did you get john um i got number 39 oh well lucky you i got 1904 what about you suzanne i've got 2095 oh nice william I, th I think william we were talking earlier william unfortunately snoozed on the limited set <laughs> oh okay so he you've got the standard one william unfortunately yes yeah standard one which is you know exactly the same i just i just think it does include the um the uh the short film so but everything else is is there in terms of the the film itself so i read my sleeve on a product when i had the opportunity <laughs> but i should have been more aware and that's, i'm disappointed in myself but having said that i, I was shocked because this sold out really quickly i thought this would last at least a while um but it kind of proves, like I said, this film has a has a massive cult following. So I was really surprised by it. Um, so, um, so yes, overall, um, there's a ton of extras in here. There's commentaries, uh, two commentaries. There's actually one with um, uh, Dennis Hopper and the director from 1998. That's really special because uh, that, that commentary is really good. Yeah, that's what I heard. It was really good commentary. Yeah, when they were both alive. So. Um, you know, a really special commentary where they reminisce on the film and, um, you know, just going through little tidbits here and there. And and the second commentary is actually with um, Ride and Field programmer Tony Raines. And Tony Raines, he, he was a wealth of knowledge. He had a whole bunch of trivia uh, about the film as well. And he um, his commentary was pretty interesting. Well, he, he met the director numerous times and, and knew him. So um, he had a lot of a lot to say on, on the director himself too, which was really cool. Great commentary. They're, they're both really cool. Um yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. Were there any favorite extras on here or things that stood out to you guys? Anything that kind of was kind of your standout extras or anything? <laughs> well, I saw the um, I saw the um, sinister image Curtis Harrington um, television episodes, um, two episodes hosted by David DelVal about Curtis Harrington's career in um, in feature length films, and um, they they explain it was it was quite an interesting hour, especially with um talking about his career. The first half of it is basically all about Night Tide, and yes. the second half is basically is was about his um other show other films like um Games, What's the Matter with Helen, and uh, Killer Bees, and yeah, and then after that he his last theatrical film was a canon film with Sylvia Crystal called Matahari. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Canon film says it all, believe me. And um, yeah, Matahari, unfortunately, it was not great. But uh, it, it's a shame that that's what that was was Curtis Harrington's final theatrical film. I also didn't realize he directed Devil Dog Hound from Hell, which was a late night TV favorite of mine. That was him. Yes, that was him. It's very. It, very cute German Shepherd puppy <laughs> that is the spawn of Satan. Oh wow! It's like the Omen, but with a puppy. Oh goodness! Uh, I've never seen. I've, I've heard of, but it's one I have to see. See, it's um, 
it's quite sad because, like I said, I was listening to the extras and, like, he never really had the career he wanted, Curtis Harrington. Like, he never really got that break. And Night Tide, Night Tide didn't do well at all. It was a bit of a flop. It only did well in parts of Europe, but it didn't, it didn't really get a proper release in the US. I think because they said something to do with the, um, uh, it wasn't a oh, part of it. It wasn't a union film or something. So, um, so the way they shot it, um, it couldn't be released in certain territories. Um, yeah, so so Night Tide basically didn't really get a release at all in the US. Uh, it got a bit of acclaim in, in Europe. Um, and then, yeah, he kind of got... Yeah, and like, it's interesting because I was listening to the commentary and they said he kind of got wedged into doing B-grade sort of movies and he never really got to make his Night Tide again. Like, that's the only film he had complete control over. It was his baby. It's his masterpiece. Um, I, mean, I guess, like I said, on the second disc, you do get all his sort of uh, arty sort of short films, which shows that he has a real visual style. And, and it's interesting because they were comparing him to something like, a, you know, well, Stanley Kubrick did, um, uh, what was his first film, that, that war one? Um, Fear and Desire. Yeah, which is kind of an indie film that he did himself. But obviously Kubrick then had a career, but Curtis never really got that break. And he seemed to, you know, it's sad because he ended up doing canon films. So he's a fascinating character. He is. He really, um, he never got to make his night tide again from what I was hearing in the extras. So mm. it's really a bit of a shame. Yeah, I right. find that quite sad based on the night tide that he could have done really great things. He's obviously was a person of great vision an interesting person and had a real sense for this genre cinema yeah, yeah. definitely definitely he had, a, he had a taste and he had a vision for what he was trying to make and the problem was he got um shoe pegged into making things that he didn't want to do at the end of the day you know he came through and produced this thing that he did himself and then never had the opportunity to reproduce it again yeah, because he, ne- he never, yeah, exactly. And it seems like like he did, like, you know, TV shows, like, you know, pretty big TV shows. He was just doing, like, a Charlie's Angel episode or, like, you know, a Wonder Woman episode. It's just, like, it, you can tell it's not, like, you see Night Tide, you can tell that's not him. Like, this is not what he wants to do. And it's pretty obvious he wasn't, it, it became more of a job in the end. It just became, like, a sort of routine job, not a, a visionary sort of a career because um, he never got the finance or creative control to make his next masterpiece or so yeah quite a quite a, a, a sad i mean like like i said it, it's quite sad because he did die in 2007 um they said in the commentary he did have a stroke around 2005 and his health began to decline so um yeah it's it's just, just a real shame he's not not as well known as as he could have been but i feel like he should have been uh, up there with you know some of the great visionaries like lynch or, or or kubrick i feel i have a feeling like david lynch may have possibly even seen this film like i i just get that sort of feeling so yeah it's yeah, definitely did see a reference somewhere in the commentary or the book or something to David Lynch. Mm. Well, even with like the Dennis Hopper connection there as well. So yeah, yeah, unsurprising. Um, so yeah, I feel like he, he's he's influenced a lot of filmmakers, but never really got the credit that he deserves. So yeah, yeah, f- a fascinating character. And, and there is that extra on the disc, um, which is actually um, what was it? It was uh, yeah, Harrington on Harrington. Just talks about his career and his love for films, and when he, he was a kid, he you know, loved Edgar Allan Poe, and he went on and um, made his own sort of short films. So, you know, like I said he was making his own sort of short films, like you know, like back in the forties when he was a, like a teenager. Like it, it's crazy to think, like you know, how he would have access to an eight millimeter camera back then. So he was really quite a um, quite a pioneer making his own films back then. So yeah, and and speaking of which, uh, I was going to mention the second disc has all the short films. And uh, it's really great how they they put this together because, like I said, he is a, a real visionary, and some of them are, uh, like I said, they're, they're really 
atmospheric and visual and you can see it obviously leading into night tide they even put his first film he made when he was 14 years old which was the edgar Allan poe one and it's like it's it's gothic it's dark it's visual it's really amazing and it shows that he had he had a real um you know eye for for visuals at, at a young age as well so yeah absolutely and um yeah the fall of the house of usher that was made in 1942 it, at, for, at 14 he had a talent he certainly did yeah and then, of course, the last movie on the uh, the last movie on the shorts disc on the shorts disc is the um, is basically a good bookend to um, Usher, yeah. 2002, which which of course Curtis Harrington himself played played Usher and also and also played his sister Madeline. Yes, yes, as well, and. Definitely check out Usher. It's um you know it's shot in two thousand. It's it's like you know it's a decent budget, but he shot on thirty five millimeter. It's um uh, it's it's a because he can tell he had a love for Poe and um and yeah that's probably the most interesting of the films because it, it is the longest. It's about forty minutes and um and yeah I, I really enjoyed it as as a as a Poe adaptation. So yeah there's um there's a whole bunch there's uh they all seem to like like even the you know the picnic one like there's this whole sort of sense of dread and death yeah picnic i really picnic is one i really enjoyed same same here yeah um there's one i think was on the edge yeah there's one this guy is seeing all these skeletons like (laughs) it's really skeleton women Mm. um which is really cool as well so yeah definitely check out the um the short films as well because they're um it shows that he definitely had a had an eye for visuals as well Um, i loved i loved the short films i watched them all today Yes. And it's interesting that there's all these kind of similar themes running through the short films as there are in the night tide. So there's always kind of a mysterious woman or a death character. Um, they, they have this sense of dread. They're all got horror elements. I, I just love them. I thought they were fantastic. And I think it's great that he made his Edgar Allan Poe adaptation when he was a teenager. Another interesting thing is in the last Usher film he made, the uh, 2002 one, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, Zena and Nicholas Schreck were uh, guests at the dinner party in that, and she is Anton LaVey's daughter. Oh, shit. Wow. That's cool. Blonde girl at the table in the yes. dinner party. So oh, yes. we have this other mad, like magic occult connection, and just through his body of work, there's this magical undercurrent and esoteric undercurrent. Yeah, yeah. I didn't pick that up. Yes, yes. Why no, did I? No, because I, I know who I've seen. I've seen like. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen her in like numerous interviews, and I I know it, I just didn't pick that up. Thank you, Suzanne. I, I, yeah, what was that? Wow. And um, one of them featured on there is the Wormwood Star, which is of course the. It's not a documentary. It's it's like an avant-garde study of Cameron, who obviously was in Night Tide as the Sea Witch, and it's her poetry and some you know, ritual kind of things and her art. It's mainly looking at her art, this Mm -hmm. avant-garde exploration of her, which was really interesting because she was an interesting character, like we said. 
I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, it wasn't really a, a straightforward sort of narrated documentary. That's what I liked about it. It was more just showing her and you know, what she's done and her legacy. So it was mm. – it, and, uh, I mean, it was obviously done um, – when was it? That was – I'm just having a look here. That was – When uh, would star was 56. Yeah, so, yeah, obviously it was, yeah, done when she was obviously still still around, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, and still in her prime. Um, and speaking of her, like um, – because I said earlier, there was this sort of Kenneth Anger connection. She was in. Um, I do recommend if anyone gets a chance, pick up the BFI Kenneth Anger disc. Um, it's really cool. Uh, the Kenneth Anger films. It's got, I think, a majority of his movies, uh, short films, and and she's in the. Um, was it the? Was it on the pleasure? The inauguration, the inauguration of the pleasure, pleasure dome. dome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, which um, is just like I think it's become quite iconic. Her image, like her her character in that film, like just that sort of uh, satanic look to her in that <laughs> that sort of that um, that film, like with the red hair. And, yeah, it's it's, it's really a, a cool looking um, uh, short film, and it's on the the BFI disc. So definitely recommend picking that up if anyone hasn't got it. Yet. And we we did mention Curtis Har- Harrington is in that film too. Mm, yes, yes, he is. Yes. Yeah. It's it because there's this whole connection, this whole group, and they go to this house, and it's, it's like they were trying to do these sort of rituals, and they're trying to create like a, a moon child or something. And Jack Parsons was the, you know, we said, I think, pioneering rocket engineer. So this amazing mind. And he passed away in a freak laboratory explosion. Yeah, look, explosion, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was doing stuff for NASA and yeah, NASA. yeah. But he he apparently introduced Cameron to the works of Alastair Crowley and the occult, and mm-hmm. she apparently introduced it to Kenneth Anger, and so they were all mingling in this group which is probably you know an art scene this bohemian scene beat scene this mysticism yeah it's just a really interesting time and art came from this yeah it is and, and to think like the, we're talking about time period like 40s and 50s it's, it's pretty yeah just just out there to think like it's it's a really like it's just a magical sort of yeah magical time that uh, these, these, mm, people like, exploring new ideas and art and experimenting yes. and breaking free. But if you imagine still, they would have just been so far out compared to everyone else because society was still very conservative. Very conservative, yeah. Especially yeah. in America, for example. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's crazy to think when they were doing all this was around that time period of a very you know, sort of conservative US. So... Yeah, no, no, it's it's fascinating, and like I said, it's something that I'd, I'd like to definitely look more into as well. Just this whole group of, of people that would go on to be involved. Um, so yeah, no, very very cool. Um, and um, and yeah, like as the short films, um, uh, it also includes uh, image gallery with some promotional materials. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's really it. It's overall. Um, quite a package um so what do you guys think of this set overall this, uh, this indicator set it's quite an impressive one very impressive indeed yeah they definitely went out of their way suzanne oh, what do you did. think 
Yeah, they did. Uh, Suzanne, what do you think of the actual Blu-ray set itself? It's pretty... Uh, uh, I think it's fantastic, and I think it's it's really nice that they've done justice to this really interesting movie yeah. by doing all this extra content and putting it together and having the book and just giving it what it deserves, really, because it is underrated, it's important, it's a very early independent film for America. Um, so it's great that people are valuing these films and these genre films and doing this all the extras. There's no filler. It's all great. It's all interesting. So it's just a wonderful package. A lot of thought and care has gone into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's the definitive yeah, version of this film. I think it's safe to say. Um, yeah, once again, the film deserves the justice that, you know, it's been asking for a long time. Um, I think from what I was researching before this release, it was just a bunch of like bargain bins sort of public domain DVDs. Um, and also I don't think this, if I'm not mistaken, this never even got a local release down here. Did it on DVD or I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, have I? No. So it's been pretty obscure for years. Uh, down here in Australia, like you were saying, William, um, the only place it may have showed was TV. Like that was it. So it's it's it hasn't been too available. So yeah, the fact they've gone in and done this effort, it really really does it justice. So I, I think it's an amazing package. And I was just going to mention, um, uh, what was that? William? I was going to say it's it's really highly recommended. Just get the standard edition, the most since you can't get the limited edition. But it's a really interesting movie. It's not a film you'll see every day but it's a film that needs to be seen it's really cool it so is. and recommended i was gonna mention obviously the big thing that i forgot to mention sorry um you'll probably notice that there's a little uh banner that says nicholas winding refn presents night tide so he is a big fan of this film uh, he did the restoration, the new 4K restoration on on this release. So, um, and he he actually owns the film's negative. He's such a fan of this film. He's a, he's actually quite obsessed with Night Tide. Uh, and in case you obviously don't know, uh, Nicholas, yeah, how would you say, winding or, or winding? Reffin, I think it's winding. Winding, yeah. So. Winding, you might think of it. Winding, winding, winding. Sorry, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> winding, I think it is. Uh, he he directed, you know, like Drive, um, you know, right. Rising, the Pusher trilogy, um, and so he is a big fan of this film, and he actually was involved quite heavily with this release, so which is really cool. Just so I point that out, and obviously the Neon Demon was his most recent one. 4K coming out. Is it out already? I think it's coming, coming soon. Yeah. They'll look good in 4K. Oh, yeah. yes. Cannot wait. Definitely. Um, cool. Well, I think that's about it. Um, no, thank you, everyone. Uh, it was great talking about this film. Uh, you know, real unusual gem that needs to be discovered. So please, people, go out and see Night Tide. It's an amazing film. Um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll call it a night. So uh, we'll see you all later. Unless anything else you guys want to mention. Thank you all for being here. Um, Suzanne, thank you for being involved. You're amazing. Please come back to us. You're amazing. Absolutely, Suzanne. You you were brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. There's just so much to talk about with this film, I think. Some films maybe not so much, but this film, 
I could just talk about endlessly, so I hope I didn't talk too much. But, um, oh, yeah. yeah, just so fascinating. Well, well acknowledged. Thank you, Suzanne. That, that was great. Um, and, yeah, we hope to have you back on a future episode. Um, you've thrown a few titles out there, uh, some of the other so, sort of interesting Gothic titles that are in the Indicator collection, so we'd be you know, honoured to have you back on in a future episode. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I'll, I guess that's about it. Um, we'll see you all later. Thank you for listening, and uh, everyone have a good night. See you then. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Bye.